everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and the 97.5 Network, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, it is one of my favorite times of year, spring training, baseball going, almost the baseball season, but madness. I know I'm not allowed to say those words, but it's the conference tourneys coming uh how are you doing my friend i know you're watching a lot of michigan basketball i did i watched michigan basketball today it was a lot of fun and we got to see our old friend phil martelli head coaching the michigan basketball team when Jawan howard got uh tossed out of the game after going after mark turgeon so i texted early in the game that i i wasn't watching and i saw that uh maryland was up by like 10 or something like that and then the next thing i knew michigan was up one at the half and then you texted me and said that Bill Martelli was now coaching and John Howard was ejected. And I was like, oh, that's a lot that happened. My, my favorite part of it was, though, if you remember when Martelli was here, he would pace the sidelines. He would never sit down to the point that it was legend that they didn't even put a chair out for him anymore. And since he's been at Michigan, since he's the assistant coach, you always see him just sitting and it's just Juwan Howard pacing around. And which is it's, it's weird to see a seven foot guy who looks like he's in better shape than the players pacing around the sidelines. Well, he gets tossed out. Martelli takes over. And the chair goes at that point. He did not sit down for the rest of the game. Well, we'll have Coach Zach Spiker of the Drexel Dragons, who are going to go dancing themselves. Join us in a few minutes. Let's talk, uh, you know, obviously Rutgers on tonight against Illinois. I'll be watching that. I think Jeff Rutgers might be in the tournament regardless of what happens tonight. I've got my fingers crossed. I don't okay. know. You might want to cross your toes, too. I'll cross whatever. I Although I'll tell you, if more teams just keep dropping out, you you might get in by default. There might not be 64 teams to go in. In fact, there may not be enough teams to go to an NIT this year, even though they cut down to 16, because you now have Kansas out. Well, you don't know if they're out of the NCAA tournament. You know that they dropped out of their own tournaments. So you have Kansas that's now dropped out, Duke, which wasn't going to make the NCAA tournament anyway, and Virginia. So three powerhouse programs in the last 24 to 48 hours have had to drop out of the conference tournaments because of COVID positive tests. And you have the NCA saying probably the most ridiculous thing I have seen in a <laughs> long time because they actually decided to say, what we're going to do is we're going to let teams in the tournament as long as they have five players. So I want you to tell me how the NCA is looking out for the benefit, the health and welfare of, of its student athletes if there is an actual team that decides to play with five players. I was surprised by that. I, I really, I don't see how it's healthy for the players to play the full 40 minutes in a college game, potentially overtime. But I, I guess they're doing a lot of things to try and make this happen. I, I guess they're... But you, you know, still have the, to be practical. You're the lawyer. You're the lawyer. You, you, Put yourself to look in the other side of the situation. What are they saying? They don't want to take away from the other kids because somebody has something. Is that their reasoning for doing it? I, I don't really know. I'm just asking the question. I, I have not heard that reasoning yet, but you know what the reason is. The you reason that is might money. sound good for cover for they just want money from the games. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you, you just can't do that. I mean, we don't have the actual, we don't have the reality of that situation yet. But the fact that that would be the rule, that as long as you can put five on the court, to start a game, you're okay. First of all, you can't have, how many times do you see a player play all 40 minutes, let alone a whole team play? It's not possible. Second of all, what happens if somebody fouls out? You're just going to stop the game? So what was the point of it? It's a circus. That is a good question. 
what happens? Do you play like four on five? What happens if you literally... Can you imagine what would happen if that occurred? How embarrassing that would be for the NCAA. Did you see that anywhere? Like what would happen if they went no. below the five players? No. I, are, I cannot imagine what would Are happen. you excited for the tournament this year? Yeah, I am excited for the tournament. And I'm excited. Look, there's always great stories that come out of the store, the, the tournament. And we're about to interview one of the coaches who already has one of the best stories going into the tournament. I mean, there's always those. The great thing about the NCAA tournament is the Cinderella stories in the first and second week. And then it goes on to the competition beyond that. But it's, it's, it's the drama of all of it. I just don't appreciate drama that, do, that shouldn't be happening. Are you the guy that thinks the conference tournaments are better than the first two weekends of March Madness kind of guy? Or do you mm -hmm. like the No, I like them both. Okay, you like them both. Yeah, I mean, look, because because the conference tournaments still, you don't have a lot of the Cinderella stories in a lot of those conference tournaments. Even even in the conferences that aren't the major conferences, those aren't Cinderella stories. Usually, the top seed wins it. Drexel again is is the outlier to that. Anything surprised you so far? I mean, it looks like the Big Ten is going to be the the behemoth. They're probably getting seven bids into the tournament. Uh, they're, they're clearly the best conference now, right? Especially if... You yeah, know. but that's not the surprise of the weekend so far. I mean, the surprise. The, the, surprise, the surprise of the week is that apparently Patrick Ewing can go, go to Madison Square Garden and somebody doesn't recognize him. <laughs> Jay Wright had a good week personally getting nominated for the Hall of Fame. Yes. The basketball team did not have a good week on the court getting eliminated by Georgetown yesterday. Yeah, um, but does that surprise you? No, because of the injury that they had to their point guard. I yeah, mean, we had Seth Greenberg on here last week talking about how important he was to the team. And he's out for the tournament. And it's to replace somebody that late in the season is really hard. And so, you know, as, as unfortunate as it is, I don't see Villanova going very far in the tournament now. No, you wouldn't think so. I mean, they're going in hobbled. We'll, we'll have to see what, what happens with them. Uh, we'll see where Drexel seated once we talk to the coach as he comes on shortly. Um, Michigan, uh, you know, has to keep winning, right, to keep a one seed. They can't. You know, they keep saying that they don't, and I don't get it. I wouldn't give them a one seed if if they don't make it to the conference finals. I don't think I don't think you should be a one seed. And I'm saying that as you know, as a, a tried and true Michigan alumni. But I'm telling you, if I don't see them in in the Big Ten final. I don't, I don't see it. All right. Well, why don't we get to the, the best story we got going right now? Let's bring on coach of the team that is going dancing, the Drexel Dragons, making their first tourney appearance since 1996. Coach Spiker, how you doing? Hey, guys. How are you doing? Great to talk to you again. I think we spoke in the fall, didn't we? We did. Yeah, it was, it was so great to talk to you at the beginning of the season and hear how you were going to be dealing with this and, and, and all the question marks. You've now made it through that season. What was it like to deal with all of the question marks, all the adversity, and then lead it up to what happened this week? Well, it was great. It was really good. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it's obviously a lot of adversity that can happen right there, but you learn a lot about the young men that you're coaching and uh, the, type of, the type of people that we have in our locker room made it a great experience. I apologize. I'm getting out of my car right now. I'm talking to you guys. I apologize. <laughs> 
no worries at all. You guys, you guys had so many challenges to overcome. You went 21 days without a game, had a half dozen games. I saw you in the post game interview after you guys won. Say you played more games at James Madison's court four than you did on your own home court. Can you talk about the challenges of this season that you overcame to get here? Yeah, I think it's uh, adversity, right? And you don't know what's going to happen. We used to talk to our guys a lot this year about sudden change. Listen, we don't know what the schedule is going to be like. Uh, we went to practice on a Thursday morning at home, getting ready for the number one team in our league, Northeastern, to come play us. And they called and tested positive and weren't coming down. So we went from a huge two-game homestand to no games and 10 days off in between our next game. And the message we told our guys was, you got to be able to deal with sudden change. And it, it's something, honestly, that you got to deal with in life, too. Um, you gotta, you got to deal with adversity when it comes your way and keep going and not just stop and let it crumble you. And uh, our guys did a great job of pivoting, adjusting, and uh, coaching staff had great ideas to keep it light, to keep practice going so it didn't get boring. And I thought, as a group, we were able to handle the adversity or the disappointment of a game getting canceled and just make it something where – we got better, and we enjoyed being around each other. And in the end, what happened really, guys, was we kind of went off the grid because everybody else's testing policies wouldn't allow them to play us. So we just kept coming to work every day and kept getting better and get it better and better. And by the time we played a game, we looked like a totally different team than the last time we played. Coach, every time I've talked to somebody, their response, what they want to talk about is the reaction of your team after you won and the emotion that you showed, both with your team and your family. What was it that you were feeling at that moment when the buzzer went to zero? Uh, you know, it's just a, a huge sense of gratification and pride for our players. You know, just so grateful that they had stuck with it. We gave them a couple simple things. Listen, the most disciplined team is going to come out on top, right? Whether it's COVID conscious or transition defense, half-court defense, or shot selection, the most disciplined team is going to win this thing. And when you get there and, and you go through it, what we went through, you had to play at the number one seed, James Madison, for the final game of the regular season. Then our, we were the sixth seed, and we played the, the number three seed in Charleston, who's been in more – and then Northeastern, and those two teams have combined for more conference title appearances in the last six years than anybody in our conference. And then we played Elon, who was the hottest team. That was a big run. So I think what you saw at the end of that game was um, some relationships that are really genuine and sincere between our players and each other, our coaching staff and our players, and, and, coaching, and all of our support staff. Uh, Drexel is a special, special place with great people and very fortunate and thankful most of those people were able to be down there at the game with us and i think that's what you saw on tv hopefully i saw you jokingly say those weren't tears what are you talking about but i'll tell you what yeah I text- I, I, our, our point guard cam winter was crying i myself was not i just happened to walk by the scores table and somebody was chopping up some onions i was totally yeah. fine that's all I'll tell you. I texted Jeff right away because we talk a lot about, you know, family and sports and the impact it has on family. I thought it was so cool to see your kids and the, your wife in the stands after everything they've probably gone through you on this journey. How special was it to have your family there with you? Uh, I know you like to make it about the team, but just kind of a personal question there to have them there as you accomplish this. Yeah, well, I, I think uh, I think our family is no different than any other family on our coaching staff, right? Um, when you're in athletics, 
whether it's head coach, assistant coach, or athletic trainer or sports information, right? You're around the team. You're traveling. You're going through what teams do in season. And there's practice and there's pregame and there's preparation and treatments before and after practice. If, if you're a spouse of someone on a basketball staff or a football staff or any other team, there's tremendous sacrifice that is behind the scenes that nobody sees. No one sees. You see the coaches and you see those things. But no one sees uh, the the – assistant coach's wife that's having to take her kids to school every day and maybe some of them aren't old enough to be in school but you got to get them out of bed to get the one guy to school so our our staff can meet at 8 a.m in the morning before we have nine o'clock practice every day all right so those are the those are the hidden figures those are the unsung heroes of every every coaching staff and so to have that opportunity personally for my wife to be there and our three kids to be there to see it was was incredible you know and We've got young kids, and that's a moment and a memory to make for them, but um, just to recognize so many other people. And listen, like I said, Mike Westifer, our athletic trainer, he shows up an hour and a half before practice and does COVID testing every single day, right? And so it's, um, it's, it, you, it, there was emotion. It was real. It was genuine. But uh, I think that's also that's the beauty of sport. It brings that out of us and a lot of sacrifice, but it's also, I think everybody would say it's also worth it. Coach, not only is it worth it on the court, but it's also worth it, it seems like off the court for you. We talked to you before the season about coaches versus cancer and all the work that the, the community of coaches in Philadelphia is doing. Uh, next week is the coaches versus cancer breakfast, and you're participating despite the fact you got to get ready for the tournament. Uh, tell us about your involvement for this breakfast and what you're looking forward to there. Well, I think it's going to be a great event. You know, for so many years, guys, this event was on the floor of the palestra, right? On Monday morning after Selection Sunday, they'd have all six coaches there, and they'd talk about the tournament. And, and usually it was Coach Wright and maybe one other coach have to get up early and go get on a plane and go to practice or get ready for the tournament. Um, this year that's not the case uh, because of the pandemic. But it's an incredible event that just brings more awareness and brings people together to understand that there's college basketball and then there's Philly college basketball. And within that, there's coaches versus cancer in Philadelphia. And we do whatever we can to work together to crush cancer. And this, this event does that. So it's going to be a little bit different this year. They're going to do a couple different days virtually. And I think there'll be great days. And uh, whether you're in a term or not, we plan to participate. So we'll be hunkered down and, and quarantined in Indianapolis. And uh, we'll be joining via Zoom. Coach, I believe this is your first uh, appearance as a head coach in the NCAA tournament. What's it going to be like for you? Are you got, are you the kind of guy that can go to sleep, or are you going to be up all night? Um, yes and yes. No, I, I don't know. I, I think I'll sleep. Um, I know that um, you know it, it was. It'll be exciting, but uh, you know we tell our guys be where your feet are, right? Be present in the moment, and at that point in time, that uh, we'll have all sorts of other moments and opportunities to look back and enjoy things. Right now, we're one of the few teams that are still playing a game. And once you get so many hours out or a day or two out, you work from the, start, from the, from the jump ball start time, and uh, your routine is your routine. So it will involve those same things, and we'll continue to do that. Well, Coach, thank you for providing a little time to us, providing the city with some amazing moments early on in the NCAA tournament uh, time and for the work that you're do about to do with Coaches versus Cancer. We look forward to uh, watching you in the NCAA tournament and hopefully talking to you about the experience when you're done. 
It sounds great, guys. Thanks so much for having us on, and uh, appreciate all you've done. And uh, thanks to everybody for your support of Coaches versus Cancer. We hope to continue to promote awareness for that uh, next week as well. Thank you, Coach. Good luck. All right, we'll Jeff, see you. Jeff, we should give out the information for the Coaches versus Cancer breakfast. People can go to phillycvc.org or text PHLCVC to 44321. So they can participate in this great cause. You and I are going to be participating and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, yeah. And for, and for people that don't know this, um, and, and we've touted it enough. So if you've listened to our show, you certainly know it is the Philadelphia coaches have come together and made this probably one of the biggest events in the country as far as coaches versus cancer. And, you know, it, it dates back to the Martelli days, even though he's out in Michigan right now. And Fran Dumpy and every coach who has come through this city since then has participated in this and make it, made it bigger and bigger. And you and, can uh, how special it is. I mean, look, he's going to wake up the day after his team finds out where they're playing. He probably won't sleep that night after he's reviewing tape to start going breaking down his opponents as he goes into quarantine so that he's able to play in time in the bubble out there. And he's still going to make sure that he's there. I, I believe he's there Tuesday morning. It's a two-day event. And, and he'll be there and he'll be a part of it because it means that much to them. And well, I, do you, just, cool. I don't know if you remember when we talked to Jay Wright early in the season, uh, we taught, he mentioned what it's like every morning to wake up and wait for the COVID test results. And that that seems to be the most stressful time of the day is, is waiting for those results. And I can only imagine it exponentially it being worse now i was gonna say you're seeing teams disqualified from tournaments over tests i can only imagine the anxiety that a coach goes through let alone the fact they have to prepare for their opponent and make sure that their players are ready to go and now all of a sudden <laughs> they're seeing big name teams dropping like flies left and right but if, but if you're if you're a team having a coach, I mean, Coach Spiker's background is he coached an army before this, so he coached he knows Navy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he knows discipline, right? So that's the kind of co look. Most coaches are disciplined, but you you have a guy here that I remember you and I talking afterwards off the air about. Look, this guy seems like he's he's got it all under control, and as he said, as games got canceled through no fault of their own, instead of them sulking on it and complaining about it, you never heard that. They just went to work. He they just about, kept practicing. Joked about the tears, but the emotion was cool. I texted you while it was going on because I just thought it was awesome. I mean, they, they, these coaches and these families give so much of themselves to get to that ultimate point, to win a conference tournament, to make the NCAA tournament, to win games in the tournament. And, I just thought it was cool that his three kids who probably missed out on having him at stuff so that he could do that, got to be there to share in that, that his wife was there in the stands to share about sharing that. I just thought that was really cool. All right. So as, as, a, as a Delaware Valley guy, uh, yeah. when, when, when your team doesn't make the tournament, I mean, for the well, your, your team never makes the tournament, but hey, 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 hey but, you watch out because there's a chance. <laughs> okay. So you're saying there's a chance. I, I get it. On next week's show, yeah. Rutgers is at least in the tournament. 
see here's the problem we need to do the show like wednesday night yeah yeah okay forget but the records let me get, get back let me get back to my question it could be eliminated if they make the tournament and all right but can, can i get back to my my premise okay so so you know we all root for certain teams in the city some of those different ones than others when your team is not in it do you then root for a different philadelphia team yeah i root for the local team i right. I, I mean they may not be my team, but I, I definitely root for them. Yeah, and I think most people do that, especially with college basketball. I think that everybody rallies around because it's so community-based. And so you now have Drexel, okay, that is going to have the entire city rallying around it. There's no question Villanova will still make it. But I don't know if any of the other the other four are going to make the tournament. So if they're not going to make the tournament, and, and Villanova could be in early out, unfortunately, because of what's happened with their own injuries, the team that people are going to rally around early from this city is Drexel. And everybody's going to be a dragon. They're going to be a David versus Goliath story from where they're seated. They're going to get a powerhouse early on. So that or, as, be- or as, or as uh, Bill Murray would say, it's a C- Cinderella story, right? That's right. A Cinderella mm-hmm. story. Why don't we stick to basketball, go to some pro basketball and talk a little Sixers. How about that, Jeff? Sure. Go ahead. Sixers now 25 and 12 overall nine and nine on the road after last night's win against the Bulls. Still a half game in front of the Nets who beat the Celtics last night. I'm going to take a step back real fast. A week ago, we were on the show and everybody was planning for the All-Star game, Jeff. We got off the air and we found out that Ben and Joel got haircuts, which (laughs) you have your own opinions about with the haircuts. But then they did not appear in the All-Star game and they they did not appear in the Sixers game last night. They will, Joel apparently is probable for tonight's game, but Ben will be out and probably won't play till Sunday. Uh, your thoughts on the hair problems that led to a COVID quarantine? I want to, I want to see lots of hair growth for all sports from this point forward. <laughs> Come on. If, if we can do in November, we can do Movember. Can we, can we just do like a, like a Covember, like a, that's COVID just not going to go to barbers. Or we're going to quarantine barbers. We'll let them. We'll let them have their own like competition. We like barbers. Whoever wins gets quarantined for two weeks and then goes and does it. We like barbers. It's not personal, right? But it seems like there's been a challenge with people getting their haircut. Well, first it was the Super Bowl almost went you know out the window. Pat Mahomes was like standing outside waiting to get his haircut. Next, when the the positive test happened, and. And now you had the two best players in the city and the MVP front runner who couldn't play in the All-Star game. Yeah, not not the best uh, at all. But they returned from the All-Star break with a win against the Bulls on the road, 127-105 without both of them. It was really a team win. They had seven players in double figures for the third time this season. They took 19 more shots and had 55 bench points in the win. Jeff, what did you see in the game last night? Matisse Thibel can shoot. It looks like he's earning Doc's trust, by the way. Yeah, yeah but when, when I say he can shoot, I don't mean he, he can make baskets. I mean that he can physically shoot the ball towards the basket. Like, he will go 20 minutes in a game without ever putting up a shot. And I, I like selfless. I get it. But the guy can shoot, and, and it helps the team if you space it more and everybody on the floor they know is going to shoot. I mean, he's, do you remember as a kid, there was always like, a, like one kid who just, ne- you know, he was never going to shoot the ball. So you told the other kids, look, you know, you don't, you don't have to guard that. Oh, do you? 
<laughs> the best part of this is our listeners can't hear on the radio. So you're waving your hand, holding your hand. Radio, as I sheepishly put my hand up that I was the kid. No, actually, I would fire as soon as I got the ball. It didn't matter whether I was going to make it. They passed me the ball. That was going up. Don't worry. <laughs> Well, but that's, that's kind of, look, it was bad enough when Ben, you knew you'd, you'd say, look, I don't have to Ben, we don't have to guard Ben Simmons out far because we know he's not going to shoot a three and you had Matisse. And if they're on the court together, you got two guys out there that, you know, aren't going to shoot the ball. Matisse went three for three beyond the arc last night, had 13 points, five steals, seven deflections. You know, he has the fifth most steals in the league and he's only one of two players with 50 plus steals, 30 plus blocks. I mean, he's he's really made the best use of his time in a way that's not recognized by anybody, is it? Yeah. Well, so now what happens? You now have a couple more guys who are going to be brought up to Philadelphia, too. We're going to have to fit all these guys in. So let's talk about that for a sec. The Bluecoats had a great run in the bubble. Uh, the bubble made it to the final. Themselves Made it to the final. Look, they had some fun players on that team. Uh, Robinson at the point there. Uh, they're two-way players with Tucker and Paul Reed. Paul Reed looked spectacular. I mean, he literally dominated the G League and did things on both ends of the court. He he would have a block or a steal, and he would go down the other end of the court, and he'd shoot a three or get in the paint for a dunk. Uh, his game looked pretty complete, and he's getting pretty good reviews. So you wonder, as you head closer to the trade deadline, if he's one, a chip for them or two, somebody to come up if they have to move other players in a deal. Yeah. Well, look, uh, I don't know who's going to be in that deal. I don't know. And I worry maybe that Matisse is being showcased now. I don't know. Um, he may need to be included in a deal, depending on who it is that they get. I don't understand that there's been a rumor over the last couple of days about a guy from Denver. Why is Denver going to trade one of their, one of their minutes guys? It makes no sense to me. Like people just throw out rumors about stuff that don't make any sense at all. This time of year is special. Everybody's got a source. Everybody's got the latest rumor. Uh, you look on the the fan groups on Facebook and I don't think everybody has a source. That's the thing. Oh, I think that it's all have, clickbait in this age. They say they have a source or mm -hmm. then they, I, I like particularly the people who do the trade makers where you can like do it and they say it works for salary. And it's like, yeah, but why would the other team do that? Like, why would they give you their star for five players? Because it works out on salary. Right. It doesn't make sense to me. I'll tell you the one rumor that is not necessarily a rumor is that PJ Tucker doesn't want to play in Houston. And, and for anybody listening, you don't want him here. There's been a lot of buyouts this year where they've just yeah. let players walk. Blake Griffin ends up with the Nets. We're playing good basketball, Jeff. I know there are questions about how that was going to work. But. Well, look, the whole Blake Griffin thing, let's let's remember, I think he hasn't dunked in like a year and a half. Does that matter? It's not an exaggeration. He apparently has not dunked in a year and a half. This was a guy who jumped over a car at the in a dunk competition. He is not the same player. I saw a graph on the number of dunks by year, how much it went down through the years. I'll tell you what, who looked good last night and, and who Doc Rivers is putting more trust in when Joel's not there is Tony Bradley. You know, it's, it hasn't always been that they start Dwight to start the game. And Bradley looked great last night to the point where Embiid said, build the team around him. His tweet was hilarious. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he meant that. 
It was it was very funny. They they brought it up to Bradley after the game. I mean, he and Dwight Howard last night combined for 32 points on 17 rebounds on 15 of 19 shooting. Not going to get that every night, but if you can get that off a of big man that spelled Joel Embiid, that's a problem for other teams. Yeah, and not only that, you know, the Sixers play great at home to begin with. They're getting fans back in the stands. That's going to be fun. Okay, so I wanted to ask you that. What mm-hmm. are your thoughts on the first week, basically, back of having fans at the games? Do you notice it? When you're watching the you game, do. you you do notice it. You you can tell the difference between piped in fan noise and regular fan noise, and you can see the reaction of the players. I mean, look, somebody like Joel Embiid feeds off of that, right? I mean, if if you ever go to a game, you see him. He plays to the crowd in a way similar to the way Allen Iverson used to play to the crowd, and and you do feed off of that energy. And even though it is not eighteen twenty thousand people, it it is still fans, real fans in there cheering you on. And you know what? There's a side effect to this. I would be willing to bet you that the people that are getting in are also not the ones that are going to boo. I think that people are having getting in. That's, I mean, there are season ticket holders that aren't getting into games. Either their seats are not there because they're too close to the court or Mm -hmm. Facing, I mean, you're going to go to a, a game, right? You and your son. I am. I'm going to go not this weekend. I'm going next weekend. Yeah. I have no connections to help. And it, it'll it'll be the it'll be the first sporting event I've been at since the, the only one other one I went to during the pandemic is with you. Yeah, we were outside for the union. Yeah. To cover that game. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've been to an inside game since February. It was a Flyers game last year. I have not been back yet. Uh, I did want to ask before we go to break. Did you watch the All Star game? No. Come on, Jeff. no. Once, 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 both Sixers weren't playing. You know what? It was. I hate to say it. I, I might have had on Megan and Harry. <laughs> I, I knew you didn't watch the game though because you texted me when you found out Giannis was sixteen for sixteen in the game, and you were like, "Did he really go sixteen for 16? Were they like real shots? No, I asked you if he dunked it sixteen times. <laughs> yes. um, Team LeBron won all four quarters. Uh, three-point contest was fun. Dunk contest was even worse than normal, man. They got to do something about that. It's a shell of what it was. When did it become that it became not political, but but it it doesn't seem like they're measuring the dunks the way they need to measure the dunks. It's like they're anticipating what other people may or may not be d- doing when they figure out what their scores are of the person that is actually doing it. Like I saw there was a dunk that should have been a 50 and wasn't a 50. And I don't get it. And Kenny Smith lost his mind over it. <laughs> Deservedly. Yes, Jeff, I watched it. Uh, I was I was even more disappointed in the duck contest than I normally am these days. So. I was disappointed I didn't get to see Ben and Joel. But once they weren't in, I was like, okay, I'm watching this. Why? Here's the deal. I want them to both to come back healthy before I tell you that I wasn't disappointed that they weren't in the game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You called me and told me that. I was not. Is that bad? That like, no. I I think that's what I think. Look, if you have to, if they have to play, then I want them to play. But because there was a reason not to play, which means they didn't get hurt, especially with Joel. I mean, every year it seems like that's an issue around the All Star break. Yes, he plays in the All Star game, and then like there's something after the All Star break that we don't see him until the end of March or April. So if if the Sixers win championship this year. Can Joel's we thank never allowed to play in the all-star game? <laughs> no. Can we thank his barber? <laughs> All right. We need to get some barbers advertising now. Jeff, why don't we hit the break <laughs> for a second? Come back. We'll talk some baseball and then we'll have Tom and Pat McCarthy join us.
Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Jeff, I want to talk some baseball. I will get to major leagues with what the Phillies are doing. Minor league baseball is going to experiment with a lot of rules that may make them their way to major league baseball eventually. Did you see some of the things that they're going to test out? Yeah, which one do you like the most? Oh, I'm not sure. I don't really Pick one. like a lot of them. Uh, they're going to use the automated ball strike system in the low A South League. Hate it. If Hate it. Second. I don't want to see automated ball strikes. Do you mind the 15-second pitch clock, though? No, but they, they've tried that one before, and nobody ever follows it. So, uh, so I, don't, I, I don't understand that one. We keep going down that road, and how much time is it really going to save? Pitchers can attempt to pick off or step off the rubber only twice per at-bat. If they do so a third time and fail to pick off the runner, it's a balk. Yeah. They do you care about that rule? No. About pitchers have to step off the rubber before throwing to first base, eliminating that go-to, like little side move. So then there's no point in pickoffs. I, I what about the one where they say that there there may be a limit to the number of times that you have a pickoff? Well, so they implemented. I don't get that. that particular rule in the Atlantic League in the second half of 2019, and they saw stolen base attempts jump 70 percent when they changed the the step off move there. Yeah, because you because you know the funny thing about the pickoff move is and the balk is is that they say that you can't have the intent to deceive the runner. Well, well of course you're trying to deceive the runner. All right, here's one that's designed. You can't pick someone off if you say, "Hey, by the way, I'm about to throw it over there." Here's one that is the Jeff Cohen rule in Double A, where four infielders will be mandated to have feet on the infield dirt preventing those extreme shifts that you've seen. And depending on the results, the league said in the second half of the season, they could see a more extreme version of the rule where there's two infielders on each side of the second base back. Okay. So how are they going to do this? Are they going to put little chocolate lines that say, this is, this is where you can go to. No, 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 you can't go over there. No, I was just How's it going to work? Happy. I knew that this rule would be the one that you liked the most of all of them. You hate the extreme, extreme shift. It's like against everything. I do, but you, but here's the problem: is I, I've come to the conclusion you can't, you can't ban it. There's no way because what's going to happen is people are just going to get running starts to the places that they're not supposed to be, right? So the second the pitcher gets into his windup, the guy at shortstop is going to start running to second base and time it so that he can be on the other side right around the time that the pitch happens. I just figured, There's ways to get around every one of these rules. I just figured you'd be happy that they're looking at ways to, to cut down on the shift in the minors. We'll talk more about it, but we've got the family ties themselves, something special, thrilled to be joined by father and son, broadcaster for the Phillies, among other things, Tom McCarthy, and radio broadcaster for the Iron Pigs, among his other responsibilities, Pat McCarthy. How you both doing today, guys? Doing well, oh, we're guys. doing great. See, I was waiting for him to answer first because I was de- I was uh, deferring to the younger of the two. Well, so I was, that yeah, was, was going to be my first question. Who gets to talk first, and did you coordinate that? 
Uh, we did not. Uh, it should be me, but I know how he is, so I figured he would want to talk first. <laughs> well, I'll defer to my better judgment on that one. Look at that. I mean, you guys are a fun story. You know, obviously we could talk baseball with you all day, but the, the family stuff is kind of cool to us. Tom, you were with the Thunder doing public relations and media relations when Pat was born. Pat, you grew up at stadiums. How cool is it for both of you to to be having careers in the same field? Tom, I'll go to you first and then I'll, I'll let Pat answer after. Well, you guys, you never know what kind of effect you're going to have on your kids when you're you're doing the things that you're doing for a living. And I traveled a lot, so I, I never knew what kind of impact that would have long-term on any of the four kids that, w- that uh, we have. Um, the fact that Pat wants to do this for a living, and Tommy's in sports too, I think it's a pretty big deal because I think they, they see that, you know, that it's a pretty good life. I mean, there's a lot of great things that go along with it. Um, so for me, I think that's kind of cool. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of things that, that they all could be doing, but the fact that, you know, uh, one of our daughters is following in my wife's footsteps as a teacher, the, and, you know, Patrick's following me, and then Tommy's still playing and possibly could be doing this down the road at some point. Uh, the, you know, the wild card is our youngest one who probably is going to try to go into the FBI and law, which has nothing to do with anything that we're doing in the McCarthy household. We will stay on your good side. Yeah, definitely. Hey, Pat, how about you? I mean, you made your debut at the stadium at three days old, I saw in a story, and now you yeah. you get to be there to see it all. What, what's this like for you, this journey? Yeah, it, everything's kind of come full circle to the, the first opportunity that I had to call a professional baseball game was at the Thunder, and it was just a last-second fill-in. They needed somebody to come on a day when the Hartford Yard Goats didn't have a stadium, so the Hartford Yard Goats were playing a home game against the Thunder, and it wasn't supposed to be a home game originally, so they were in need of a broadcaster, and they just brought me over. And then eventually, you know, being fortunate enough to start in Reading and just enter the Phillies family at, at such a young age, but, you know, it's, it's like my dad said, kind of. I think we, we've grown up appreciating everything that has come with it, and even if necessarily when we were younger, we didn't get that right away. That as we've gotten older, we've appreciated everything that's come with the business. And and now I think having this time away has reassured me even more now that we're doing other things in the world of how much we love being in sports and broadcasting sports. And, you know, it's given us an opportunity to really grow closer as a family, I think, which has been great. But it's also allowed us to really appreciate how cool it is to be getting the chances that we are. So to be able to follow in his footsteps and to be able to really do a lot of the same things that he was doing, whether that was Princeton football, Princeton basketball, St. Joe's basketball, and then working in the Phillies family, it's, it's really been a blessing and it's been a lot of fun. How great was it when you guys got to call a game together? I thought that was so cool to be able to see that. I, I thought it was yeah. neat. I mean, my, my thought my thought was, um, you know, I was kind of the analyst and Pat was the play-by-play guy. So that was kind of cool. Um, you know, he was he was the recruited basketball player out of high school, uh, but he was doing the play-by-play. I was just a mediocre player out of high school who was just kind of doing color commentating. But it was cool because it, it came down to the last, last minute uh, of the game. So that gave me a chance to kind of just sit back and let him call really the last 30 seconds of it. And 
you know, he did a really good job with it too, which is kind of neat. That's the, the part of it that's cool is to watch him do what he's doing and to see that there's somewhat of an impact on the way um, I did it before. But it, that, that was, that was kind of neat. I, you know, Jerry Price is the one who originally asked us to do that from Princeton. And uh, yeah, it was neat. It was, it was kind of cool because it may not happen again. So it's, it's cool to have it happen at least one time. Uh, what does it mean for you yeah, to I think, on the call with your dad? Yeah, and I think we were both, at when it first happened, we were both kind of wondering how we were going to do it and how it was going to work. But it was so much fun. It was such a special moment. And, you know, it's like you said, it's you never know when you're going to get those types of opportunities again. And but you just you soak it in and you realize how special it was. And you know, there's plenty of people – in this world that would love to get to have those memories. And we're we're really fortunate that we get to share something that we love together and we get to do it together. And, you know, I get to grow with him right next to me and by watching him and stuff. So yeah, it was a fun game. And it was really, it was a really cool full circle moment being at Princeton together. And I can remember going the first time I really ever went on the road with him was it was a Princeton back-to-back weekend road trip. And they were playing, uh, Yale and Brown, I want to say. Is that Brown. right? Yeah, Yale and Brown. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so to get a chance to do a Brown game together uh, and to throw the headset on, it was, it was really neat. Yeah. In fact, thing- guys, right before the game started, I said to him, I said, so uh, why don't I do the play by play and you do the color? And his, he almost went uh, white as a ghost when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> a little surprise for him. You know, one of the things that comes across when, when we listen to both of you, um, is how much fun you have when when you call those games, not just with calling the calling the games themselves and being part of the game, but even with the fanatic and Pat, you with Fifi and Ferris. What is it like for you guys to to know as as iffy as last year was that you get to do it again? Well, I think you know, yeah, good, Pat. No, I I think it it. It is our personalities, and I think that's what the best part is, is that if you know us personally, you know that we're both just massive goofballs. And, and obviously we can't <laughs> – we don't bring that fully onto the air, but it's, it's – our personalities do shine through. And, you know, we like to have fun, and whether that's – and the Fanatic and Ferris and Fifi, and to the extent even our broadcast partners make that a lot easier for us, is that we're, we're able to be ourselves while still being able to call the game in a professional way. So, you know, those are the little things that I think you miss more than anything. It's just the ability to you sit there and just have fun while doing your job. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is is, is getting a chance to to kind of enjoy um, just the, the, the livelihood that we've been able to put together. I mean, I hope Pat has a chance to have the longevity that I have. And I, I, I found long ago, you know, when I was with the Thunder and I was the assistant general manager and, you know, doing the PR and the media, I enjoyed that, but I didn't, I didn't love it. I liked it. I, I didn't love it. Um, I'm a competitor, so I tried to be as good as good at it as I possibly could. And there was a, there was a point where I was thinking about taking a president's position with another minor league team uh, in the area. And I just realized that I didn't want to do that. And my hope is that, you know, we get a chance to do this again, but also that he gets a chance to whatever it is, is his final destination that he's, that he goes to work every single day, kind of like I do where I don't feel like I have a bad day when I go to work. I mean, there's nothing, 
you know, when I was a, an administrator, I probably felt that way, but I, not as a broadcaster. I'm like excited about everything. You know, we're, we're, we have a game tomorrow against the Tigers, the spring training game, and we're not even in spring training. But I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited to see Zach Eflin pitch. I mean, that's pretty cool. What's it like for you to know that the fans are going to be back in the stands? I mean, Pat, I, I've, I've texted with you and you talked about how excited you were with the possibility of them coming back in May. For the Phillies, Tom, you have fans that are going to be back in the stands from opening, opening day. What is it like for you to know that you're going to be there with fans back in the stands? Oh, I think it's great. You know, I, I think that um... – I think the, I think I real, I mean, I always knew it, but I realized it even more so. I had to do the Bills and Ravens playoff game, and they had 6,700 in a 70,000 seat facility. And, you know, Taron Johnson had this interception from a yard deep in the end zone that turned into a 102 yard touchdown return for an interception. And those 6,700 people, I mean, it was, it, it, the place was rocking, and, and it was just overwhelming. Um, Anyway, that that was that was that sort of convinced me. Like, okay, we're only having eighty eight hundred to start the season. Pat's going to have two thousand probably to start the season, if not maybe a little bit more. It means something. I, I can even hear it with these spring training games how there's an ambiance to the fans when you hear it. It's so exciting when you when you hear fans on the broadcast. Pat, I wanted to ask you. You know, you get to meet a lot of these young Phillies before they end up as stars or on players on the big team with Tom. You ever share your scouting reports on your interviews with them? Let them know what's what to expect coming up. Yes. Yes. Oh, absolutely. The the one that comes to that comes to mind more than anything was I got caught pre-recording an interview. Uh, that normally I like to do interviews the game the day of. But, you know, sometimes if we have a day game or something that next day, I just don't really have that opportunity to. And I can remember being in Pawtucket, and Sean Rodriguez was uh, playing with the Iron Pigs at that point. He got called up the day that I was supposed to be doing the interview with him. So I remember just sending them that interview real quick because he was getting called back up. And then that was the one time I was like, all right, I guess I can't pre-record these interviews anymore because guys are going to be gone. Um, but also, you know, with a lot of like, the younger pitchers and stuff, you know, we can go over scouting reports and whether I've talked to our pitching coach in an interview or something like that. So, yeah, it, it works that we're able to kind of, you know, shovel information back and forth to each other. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. In fact, the other day when Damon Jones came in, I said, I texted Pat and said, hey, uh, confirm with me what Damon Jones throws. Because uh, Ruben was asking, because he, he obviously was pitching, and we have only seen him a few times. But, um, you know, so that kind of stuff is really helpful. You know, we're not going to ask you to name names, but has there ever been a time, Pat, where you've, you've, you've called your dad and said, this guy's going to be bad? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think a lot of times it's the opposite conversation. It's a lot of times yeah. I see these guys first, and it's, wow, this guy's going to be good. And, I can remember that when Sir Anthony Dominguez came up for the first time being like, yeah, this guy's not going to be here for very long. And obviously it's unfortunate what's happened with his injuries and stuff. But a lot of times it's the complete opposite. I'll text him as soon as I see a guy for the first time and be like, yeah, I'm not going to have him here for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom, you, you know, you mentioned calling the Bills game and how excited you get to call games. You've called NFL games, college football, college basketball, and the baseball offseason. You're not even just on baseball duty now after you get to call that game this weekend. You, you're doing some March Madness games. What's it like to be involved in all these different sports and, and be able to be out there being the voice that people hear to describe what they can't 
necessarily see themselves at times or that they're watching and you tell them what's before their eyes? No, it's great. Uh, you know, people always ask me why I keep doing all these sports. And I said, because I've basically been trained to do them. You know, when I was in the minor leagues or even before that in high school, doing high school and college games, I would do a game every, you know, I would do a, a sport every season, basically. Um, and I've kind of just kept that. I, I have pared down my schedule a little bit. I mean, there was a point when Pat and, and Tommy were both in uh, middle school where I was coaching a basketball team. The, the school team that Pat eventually went on to coach um, that I was, there was a time where it was, it was 42 consecutive days that I had basketball, whether I was broadcasting a St. Joe's game, doing a game on TV or coaching a, um, a basketball game. So for me, I, I think one kind of feeds off the other. I, I feel like doing these games, for the NCAA tournament make me a better broadcaster for the Phillies. And I think doing the NFL games makes me a better broadcaster for college basketball. So, you know, the more reps I do, I think it's better. Um, I don't, I don't sit well, if that makes any sense. I don't sit still well. Um, there's always stuff. My mind's always moving. So it's always good that I have something to do. And, um, you know, I think it's all part of being a broadcaster, like being a, a like a, full-fledged broadcasters that you have 8 million things going on at one time. So, and, and then now over the last year or two, if not longer, I mean, Pat and Tommy have, have, have come and have done stats for me or, or my spotters. And that's kind of cool too, because that gives them a chance to see what it's like to do a network game. Uh, Pat, unfortunately can't come to Indianapolis, but my other son is coming to be my stat guy. So that's kind of neat to get them involved too. So I, I got to ask this before you go, you, you know, we, we talk about fathers and sons, and baseball is the epitome of fathers, sons, fathers, daughters, moms, and sons, just family from one to the other. Uh, I think I heard a story that, Tom, you actually caught Pat's first home run. Yeah, <laughs> I did. Um, it, it's funny because I would, you know, we would have a Saturday afternoon game, I think, with the, Pat with the Mets. Was, was it when I was with the Mets? that we would have Saturday afternoon games, right? Yeah, because the Phils have always done Saturday night, game. night games. for yeah, yeah, and so, I think it was the yeah, Mets that Mets were doing were, 105s. And, right, yeah. right. So I, Pat would play at 9 o'clock, and I'd go and I'd watch his first setback. Because usually he was towards the top of the order, so I'd get at least his first setback. Um, or I'd roll in, you know, late for a night game, that type of thing, if we had a day game. So – it just so happened I was out in right field when he, he hit his first Little League home run. Um, it was kind of cool. So, All right, Pat, who has that ball? <laughs> I still do. It is still in a case in my room at home. It got defaced a little bit, though, because I brought it in for sixth grade show and tell once later that year, <laughs> and a couple of kids on my team thought it was going to be a great idea to sign it. And 12-year-old me thought that was a great idea. And now 26-year-old me is very upset that that happened. So it's got a bunch of, like, random writing on it now that uh, I really wish it wasn't. But, yeah, it it was such a cool moment. And uh, I only hit two, so it was awesome to have him there for the first. Oh, I'm sorry that the first now has people's signatures who may not talk to anymore on them. (laughs) I can guarantee you I don't speak to a single one of them. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's a reminder of where you came from. Guys, this was a yeah, blast. Exactly. Thank you enough for having you both on. Can't wait to hear both of your voices out there calling different games, obviously, in May for you, Pat. Um, look 
having you help us welcome us to the season. Thank you both so much for the time. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate having us. Yeah, thanks so much. Really fun. Jeff, that's awesome. That was so much fun. They really are. I mean, it, it is so hard for to do what both of them do. It's, you know, we know Pat and, and we know how much he works at this craft. And it's got to be a little hard to follow in dad's footsteps. But instead, he's created his own personality and his own style. And, and he's going to be, I think, is just as successful as his dad. And, 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 and they're just, you know, you see it with like the Carey family was kind of like that, you know, right? And, and so there are other families that this seems to be kind of a father-son thing to do. I mean, I, I guess it would be, wouldn't it be cool if you were like a kid and you got to go sit there while your dad is calling a, a baseball game or a basketball game or a football game? Look, I didn't ask him about some of this stuff, but in doing research for the interview, I mean, he was at game five of the World Series. Roy Halliday's playoff no-hitter, Cole Hamill's no-hitter at Wrigley. I mean, it's it just because his dad was calling games and he was a kid growing up. I mean, uh, there was a story about Nomar Garcia-Para asking when when he saw Tom one day uh, if if Pat was the kid, now that he was all grown up, that used to run around in diapers. So, I mean, th- that's sort of what they grew up in, in that family. And I just think that's cool. Jeff, we've only got a couple minutes left. Where you want to go, man? We got NHL, NFL. Take can we your- just skip. Can we skip Eagles this week? Do we really need it? No, everybody else okay, is speculating on the Eagles and who's not talking to who. And uh, all right, get your get your Flyers fix in. Are you worried? Are you worried about Carter Hart? Yes, um, I'm concerned, and I'm concerned more from his mental state than what I'm seeing on the ice. It's what he said and how he's handling it that concerns me. You know, he's got the skills and talent. To, he's got to figure out himself. I don't know if he's putting too much pressure on himself or what he's doing, um, but I am slightly concerned. I'm more concerned about the Flyers' defense. They're giving up four goals a game in their last four games. Opponents are getting way too many high-quality chances. You've had four different partners on defense in 24 games with Ivan Provorov. Bill Myers has regressed. He was benched last for last night's game. So I'm more concerned about the way the defense is playing with turnovers and yet they're still 13, eight and three through 24 games, a point, a couple points back of Boston. They're number at the five spot in the East looking out in on the playoffs. Yeah, but they're not that far out of eight either. I mean, th- this is not something that they're even guaranteed a spot at this point. Now, I think that they're going to make the playoffs, but they need to make some moves. I mean, this was a team that last year went into the playoffs as the number one seed in the East. You cannot have this kind of regression because you did not put the proper guys in front of the net. Well, this, that, this is not Carter Hart's problem. Yeah, he needs to do better, but this is a defense problem. That's the challenge is that the asking price for any moves, the trade deadline is April 12th, is going to be huge because teams know the Flyers never replaced Matt Niskanen. And that's very clear from what yeah they look they they can they can find it i'm not worried about the price and by the way we don't have to worry about the price that's up to the flyers to worry about the price but you can't wait how many more years do you think you have of a good claude Giroux? how many years do you have of kateria you know you you can't waste these last couple of years you now have a goalie Just protect him you can't leave it so that brian elliott is your number one goalie going into the playoffs and then hanging Brian Elliott out to dry. I did think it was good news for the NHL that they're returning to ESPN after a 16-year absence. 
about a $2.8 billion TV contract and digital rights deal for the next seven years. How much, you, how much of that are you getting? Not me, but good no. for Gary Bettman for getting that much money during a pandemic when ratings are down everywhere. Uh, just How has he made it this long as the commissioner? I have no idea. Just the fact, though, that they are going to be seen on ESPN again, I think is big for their viewership because let's be honest, NBC may do a nice broadcast. They may have more games on TV with NBC. Mm -hmm. The highlights are the what people watch to look to full games and not having those highlights on ESPN reminding people the NHL there definitely hurt their brand. I can't wait to hear the ESPN NHL hockey night music. I hope they keep the same music. That's what I want. What? That's what you're excited about? Theme music? Yes. I, I can, there's all sorts of theme music that we can, we can, I can send you. I mean, <laughs> no, I'm you, why you're missing out if you're not into that? What is so great about the theme music? It's fantastic. It's very, why? what's, what is, is it just catchy? Is it toe tapping? I mean, what, what, does it, does it just get you jacked for the game? Like it always got me jacked for, for watching hockey and yeah, it was exciting. All and, right. Well, is it better than the NCAA tournament uh, no. music or is that what gets you going? That gets me excited. Like how that. About, how about the Phillies intro music? Do you like that music? Yeah, it's. A, I, I don't. Oh, come on, you. you I love that music. Well, it, it's about to be b- baseball time. That's because you're a baseball guy at heart, though. That's why you love that music. All right. How about the Sixers music? You into that? I like the Sixers win song. Okay. I, I love the the Sixers win song. By, by the way, so some somebody told us last week that. Uh, he's a season ticket holder and that he got a letter <laughs> with a t-shirt saying that the, that the t-shirt cannon, somebody was shooting the t-shirts and it hit his seat. So they sent him the shirt. So <laughs> I really just need to know where the Sixers shooting t-shirts into an empty arena. Uh, what do you think the costs are going to be? not answering. <laughs> no, I'm ignoring it. I'm totally ignoring it. What do you think the cost is going to be of tickets by the time people get in? I've seen some people be able to get seats high up for not too bad prices, but it seems like the limited inventory. I mean, you were able to get tickets to the Sixers game, but I mean, I don't see holders who haven't even really been offered anything yet. You know, you know what? I don't, I'm surprised there is not gouging going on. Now, maybe the secondary markets you're hearing, you hear something about that, but I will give credit to the teams. And I think people are watching, so I don't think they could get away with it anyway. But I give credit to the teams that they're, for the seats that they're making available, they are not out of this world. The Flyers tickets, because I have Flyers tickets too, were not crazy. The Sixers tickets seem like they were below what they were last year for the seats that were available. Somebody would have to check with that, but that's what it seemed like. And the Phillies aren't charging any more than they did beforehand. I'd be interested to see how it shakes out. You, I mean, you assume that fans are going to go, right? It seems like there's definitely a demand for fans to go back in the stadium. Oh, I think every every seat that's offered is probably going to be taken. I don't think there's any question about that. There, there's such an appetite for getting back to normal. I think that we just need to do it safe. We're we're so close to like everybody getting vaccinated. I still think that people that they should require that you be vaccinated yes, to get into the stadium, but. A last word. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week.